It's February 14th, 1946, otherwise known as the Feast Day of St. Valentine, or the less religious, more commercial, Valentine's Day. A day dedicated to professing love to your sweetheart, purchasing flowers and chocolates and other consumerist gimmicks. It's 1946. Acts of love and the inevitably newsworthy actions of lovesick fools are magnified by post-war bliss. Youthful, horny lovers of 1946 who made headlines. This one's for you, boomers. How's it going? Hi, Luis. Happy Valentine's Day, or the day after, actually. Yes, happy Valentine's Day to you, too. Uh, well, this is In Other News. I'm Elena Richards, joined with my lovely co-host, Luis, as he's just introduced himself. And we have our Valentine's Day special here for you. Some stories from, specifically, Valentine's Day 1946, post-World War II, and everybody's happy-go-lucky and on the top of the world. That's true. Some could say, uh, and by some I mean me, uh, could theorize that today, February 14, 1946, is the day that gave us the greatest generation, <laughs> aka the baby boomers. Am I right, Elena? The best generation, just our favorites <laughs> of all time. But that's true. That's why we're looking today at Valentine's Day. We wanted to make sure we we talk a little bit about uh, this celebration and how it's been going on for for quite some time, actually. Uh, did you do anything special for Valentine's Day this year, Elena? I'm in a long-distance relationship, as you know, Luis, so I laid in bed eating chocolates naked. So very provocative. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, no, yeah, very provocative. Um, I watched The Matrix 3 with my dad. Equally as um, provocative. Equally as pro- I was naked, too. I didn't tell you that <laughs> fact. <laughs> but that's right. It is Valentine's Day. Uh Across the world, we're still living in that Valentine's Day bliss. And so we're bringing to you a very special Valentine's Day episode. All amazingly beautiful romantic news from 1946. Um, whoop, whoop. Hey, Elena, before we begin, I actually have a poem for you. For me? Yeah, in the Valentine's Day spirit, I have a poem to get us started. Roses are red, violets are blue. I am grateful to do this podcast with you, Elena. And uh, that's as romantic as I'm going to get today. Uh, Capricorn. The rest is going to be told by the wonderful stories we have. And I thought it would be really interesting and neat if we introduced our headlines with Roses Are Red, Violets Are Blue poems. I agree. So the way way I I think we have it is that we will say Roses Are Red, Violets are blue, and then the rest is the headline. Um, I wrote one that actually rhymed, but yes, I will. I agree. Sweet. But <laughs> but if you hear us say the poems, don't think all headlines in 1946 were just poems. Or do. We like revisionist history. Exactly. So, Elena, have you got news for me? Well, Luis, it's Valentine's Day 1946, and I can't really say in other news, but in the same news, coming out of World War II... We really respect um, the Roosevelts and what they have to say, right? Mm-hmm. So roses are red, violets are blue. Mrs. FDR opposes foreign weddings. Tells London press she's against GIs marrying overseas. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love a rhyme. That's great. It's a bit of a slant rhyme, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so out of the Wilmington Morning Star in North Carolina runs a story about Eleanor herself and her opinions on officers of the U.S. Army 
marrying specifically German women. So here we go. Mm. Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt said today that she was against any American soldier marrying overseas and that the U.S. Army certainly ought to be firm about its policy of prohibiting troops from marrying German women. Policy. If a European girl really loved an American soldier, Mrs. Roosevelt told a press conference, she would wait until he had gone home, rehabilitated himself, and come back to claim her. Wow. By implication, Mrs. Roosevelt denoted her disapproval of marriages abroad between American soldiers and the girls of Great Britain, France, and other allied nations, as well as with German... Fruleins. (laughs) Fruleins. <laughs> British women seeking protection against divorces by American husbands who had come home and left them recently appealed to Mrs. Roosevelt for help while she was in London. Hundreds of marriages with foreign girls have broken up because they were based on loneliness of soldiers instead of on true love, Mrs. Roosevelt wow. said. The Germans look as well fed or better fed than the British, she commented on her arrival from London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, British. The Germans are just thick with the Reese's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're really, really filling those lederhosen. Am I right, ladies? Later, the nylons, as the Americans would call them. Wow. can't believe there was such animosity to this intermarriage between people. I, 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 I find that line striking, the one that uh, Miss Ro- Mrs. Roosevelt said of, uh, there's no way these people are marrying for love. They're just marrying out of convenience because they're there. Wow, that's incredible. Right, this idea that you have to come home and be re- rehabilitated before you're able to act on anything except loneliness. Yeah, no, that's and, – and it's interesting to see just – because surely there were many people married to Germans at this time, like Americans right. or, or allies, if you want to say that way, married to Germans. I mean, the war just ended, and you're not fighting with each other anymore. Why not make love, not war? Right, Elena? Mm-hmm. There's got to be an element of Romeo and Juliet, too, to it. Like, it's like, oh, like the forbidden German women, you know? It's like, well, but we're yeah. in love, mom. Like, ja, Kapulitz, ja. Right. <laughs> Fräulein. <laughs> what light through yonder window breaks, Fräulein? <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and it's interesting. I can kind of relate this a little bit to uh, my own family experience. So my, my, grand, my great-grandfather uh, emigrated from Germany to Mexico, and he arrived in Veracruz, the, time I'm, the town I'm from. And he was a German man and out of coincidence married a woman who was from here, but the daughter of German immigrants. However, during the Second World War, despite there being a very large German population or German descendant population in Veracruz, none of you, if you were German, were allowed to stay in Veracruz. So my grandfather, my great-grandfather and his wife were forced to leave to Mexico City to stay away from the coast just because of the Second World it's War. It's not like you had to leave the country. They just had to leave Veracruz, which is, I don't know, a silver lining. But I mean, gra- granted, granted, between Mexico City and Veracruz, you have a whole lot of mountains. Right. So it would be, especially in 19... 19- what 40s 35 all of those it would be difficult to go back to veracruz but interesting that these yeah that song was written by my great grandparents not in switzerland but in mexico um 
But anyway, yeah, it's interesting to see there's this discrimination against Germans at the time too, right? And the, uh, yeah, and that, this animosity. The first lady felt the need to speak out on it. Like that's very much of yeah. the times as well. Like the first lady's yeah, role absolutely. was to say like the proper role for a young man is to come home and cure his loneliness before he finds yeah. true love. And it's former first lady too. So she really was not going on a diplomatic mission. This is just her opinion. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Anything you got for me? Yeah, I do, Elena. Another news from uh, Mrs. Roosevelt going on a tour to blame the Germans for everything. I have some news about the history of Valentine's Day. A lot of newspapers from this time actually focused on Valentine's as a news story. So this one comes to you from the Freelance Star in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And the headline is, Roses are red, they bring me to tears. We've had our own Valentines just 100 years. Nice. (laughs) Um, And it reads as follows. The American Valentine card industry is 100 years old this year. It has become a big business. Sweethearts of 1946 will send 3 million Valentines to the objects of their affections. Valentine types come in cycles, says Cy Seltman, who has a collection of the cards. He believes lacy ones are the most popular in times of war and worry. He thinks the comics reach their height in boom times. And it proceeds to show a little bit of these old Valentine's cards from Mr. Seltman's collection. And it says, here's an 1840 Valentine printed in the spirit of the early American handmade work of art. Before then, valentines were imported from Europe, furnishing the fine lace ones. So it just shows a card just covered in lace, I guess. First one, not imported from uh, abroad, but actually made in the U.S. Continues, in the gay 90s, they poked fun until it hurt. This one carried the inscriptions, no man of sense would ever incline to have you for a valentine. (laughs) So just a little bit of fun towards those you're trying to win their affections. Just some cheeky little jokes. And it says, uh, Valentines that would stand up alone closed in on the comics in the early part of the 20th century. And this is a 1940 Valentine. And it says, Leap year and I'm jumping at the chance to have you as my Valentine. (laughs) Hey-oh. So you can tell tell that people are... I have been excited about Valentine's Day for for quite a while. And the market for Valentine's Day cards has been going very strongly, at least according to this article, since the 1840s. Right. The the century there of going back in time. Mm -hmm. I love that the lace thing was relevant, too. Not only do we have the nationalism of, like, (laughs) American-made lace, but also... The history of lace as a material that was once really expensive and they would put it on cards and stuff. It's kind of cool. And I find it interesting that it says the lace, lacy Valentines were most popular in times of war. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, like, what does that matter? But it's also sweet, right? How, oh, they're in times of war. I'm going to send a nice one to my girl back home. Hopefully she's not German, would say Eleanor Roosevelt. (laughs) Right. Hopefully it's motivated by true love and not loneliness that you send a little scrap of lace to your your valentine. All right. Well, here's time for my poem. Roses are red, or really any color you like. 32,000 valentines, but she just wants to bike. 
So, Little Miss Valentine, a story out of the Waterbury Democrat from Connecticut. Bedridden with rheumatic fever for the past seven years, 11-year-old Evelyn Valentine uh, examines some of the 32,000 Valentines she's received from all over the country since becoming an invalid. Unable to attend school or receive any visitors, Evelyn will celebrate Valentine's Day looking over the cards sent by her well-wishers. Nation responds, Invalid Child Has Her Day with Valentine's. So it's a story out of Chicago, published in Connecticut. Little Miss Valentine said today that she guessed that just about everybody wanted her for their Valentine. She had more than 32,000 Valentines to prove it. Ellie is only 11 years old, but Evelyn Valentine has been an invalid for seven years. Most of the time, she's been bedridden. People throughout the country help her forget the pain of rheumatic fever every February 14th by sending her Valentines. She said she'd received the 32,000 Valentines since she first became ill. This year, she already had received several hundred. They're nice, Evelyn said, but I'd rather ride a bicycle. The doctor says none of my friends can visit me. He said I'd have to forget about school for a while, too. All I have is my Valentines. Evelyn, blonde and chubby, said she hoped she would be able to go to school next year. She was to have started last Valentine's Day, but she got sick again and couldn't go. And it's continued on another page, but I figured that was enough. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I know. Her last name is Valentine. I didn't realize so reading it to you right now. like Yeah, that line that says, yeah, these Valentines are nice, but I'd rather ride a bike. Oh, no. <laughs> that got me, too. I was just like, shit. Maybe I should go ride my bike and just be grateful for that. Oh, but, you know, at least at least people are caring about her, right? People are, are, are sending her cards, right? I'm so curious how they found out about her the first time. She said it's not the first year. She's 11. She's been bedridden for seven years like how long has she been getting these valentines how did people find out about her Thirty-two thousand is a lot that is a lot i mean i i if i ever got one at school that was uh, quite that was plenty so that's evelyn yeah this one goes out to you uh dear little evelyn if we could if we knew where you were if you were i mean i don't know if you're still alive but if you if you were miss miss valentine we would send a valentine over to you and actually I have some news in relation to that, Elena. Mm. Also, uh, this is less of a news article and more of a, I guess, advertisement for the holiday. This is coming to you from the Deseret News in Salt Lake City, Utah. And we saw, Roses are red, violets grow in a glen. St. Valentine's Day is with us again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, it, and it goes on by saying, the candy vendors are getting rid of a lot of red heart-shaped boxes of chocolates. The florists are having a boom, and the stationers are out of little cards proclaiming love, affection, and such. A lot of husbands are a little nicer to their wives, and people walking in twos are very much in evidence. All because of why? School children wait with bated breath for the moment that a certain mysterious box reveals its contents. Everyone seems to be making up corny poetry about the color of roses and violets. The sun is shining and a bit of spring is in the air. There is no fragrance of flowers growing that could be causing this aura of romance and excitement. But of course, now I recall, tis once again Cupid's day, and the common interrogation of the day seems to be, will you be my valentine? To be in step, one has to rhyme, things like fine, thine, and time and mine. It's a holiday today, all right, but not like the kind they close the post office for. 
As a matter of fact, the post office has to work overtime on February 14, delivering billet doux to lassies from lads smitten with their charms. This is front page news, or just a front page, just quick advertisement of, of Valentine's Day. And I think it's really lovely. It really captures the essence of what was going on. This this is really what Valentine's Day should be about, right, Elena? Like, this is sweet. Right? It was pretty poetic for a, for a piece. Yeah. Out of Utah, you said? Yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah. All right. The Mormons really, really know how to <laughs> celebrate love. They really know how to woo a lady, if you will. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's just that was just to to get us into the quick spirit of of this holiday. I feel like that's a good picture of what Valentine's Day still is too, like the idea of like rhymes and like it's a little cheesy, like even in that story it yeah. felt self-aware of like mine dying and whatever else. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, yeah. It's like this this thread through history. Like that piece could have been written like Kind of today, if you change the language a little bit, it would have been just been. If you change the fact that no one sends anything through the post office, like it says at the end, right? Just a quick little so- standing in solidarity with the post office workers. There is a piece I read that um, wasn't really a good piece, but the headline was something like "Cupid like makes the mail like <laughs> hell" or something like nah, <laughs> because yeah, of number of letters being sent. <laughs> I think it's time to break for our sponsors. So, in other news, brought to you by Fields Market, eat more meat for vitamin needs. We have a good supply of boiled ham, smoked ham, cold cuts, beef and pork, black pepper as well, just in a box, fresh and frozen vegetables, baked goods and dairy products fresh daily, beer and wine to take out, lowest prices in town. Why bother shopping? Just call Fields 2422 for delivery. Oh, wow. Before there was Instacart, there was Fields Market. Yeah. Thank you, Fields Market. In other news, it's also brought to you by R.A. Kishpon Stationery. Send Valentines. It costs so little and means so much. We have appropriate Valentine greetings for everybody, friends and family, young and old. R.A. Kishpaws Stationery. Also brought to you by City Dry Cleaners. Look your prettiest on Valentine's Day for the return of veteran husband or sweetheart with clothes immaculately cleaned by City Dry Cleaners. Remember too, now is the time to begin spring cleaning your clothes. Send those spring coats now and they'll be ready for the first pretty sunshine day. Our cleaning equipment is one of the latest and most modern design for satisfactory cleaning. Try City Dry Cleaners. This next one is brought to you by, uh, by I think... Elena's and I's common love for public transportation. Hell yeah. This one's uh, an advertisement from Canada, from from Alberta, saying, Ario Motors, Alberta Limited. Let's modernize right away. Visitors from all parts of Canada and United States will attend our stampede this year. It would not be at all surprising if an all-time high in attendance is reached. Do we want our transportation system to again humiliate us? It is an accepted fact that the progress of any city is to a large extent measured by its transportation facilities. If modern Rio buses are ordered right now, a substantial number can be in operation by stampede time. Follow the example of London, Ontario, which is in the heart of the Ontario hydroelectric system. They did not order trolley coaches but have purchased 15 modern Rio buses. Call your council representative and insist on a special meeting being called to order these buses which are available for immediate future delivery too much time has been lost already we can at least show the rest of the continent we are doing something about our transit problem don't wait for the other fellows to act take matters into your own hands you owe it to your city 
REO Motors, Alberta Limited. Ooh, we love a retro transit ad. That was excellent. Yeah, roses are red, violets are blue. I love transit. Choo choo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. This next one is um, Cobal Milk, and it's kind of a ad, kind of a, a little reporter piece. So, mm-hmm. a reporter tries her first milk box, as reported by Ruth Harris Tyson of the Moore County News. Who'd have thought it? It was a little startling to go into the grocery store in Carthage for a quart of milk and have it presented in a pasteboard box with corners on it. I had read about them in the cities, and now they've even reached the, our village. I carried my package of milk rather gingerly, fearing that it might be wobbly or leaky at the corners. But it was as dry as a box of cocoa, the cardboard being treated with wax or paraffin. Later, I found a perforated space which said, lift here to open, to close, press here. After I got the flap up, there was a nice little hole from which to pour the milk and a nice little tab that pushed down to close it. This reporter would be would be amazed to see modern... American school lunches. <laughs> I have been reminiscing about the milkman and like this idea of glass bottles being left on your doorstep. And yeah. this woman is shocked at what we as our norm. Yeah. So yeah. The, yeah. the the little pint of milk I used to chug in elementary <laughs> school lunch is nothing to her. I mean, Elena, what's more Valentine's Day than a visit from the milkman? Am I right? <sighs> I know. Well, Lena, uh, as, as one of our ads, I, also, I have a special treat for you. Um, I thought we'd include an ad for a movie. Uh, because it's mm. 1946, we do have moving pictures now widely available to the public. And uh, this is the golden age of cinema, or about to enter the golden age of cinema. And this is a, a movie that is premiering this week uh, of Valentine's Day, 1946. Walter Wanger presents a Fritz Lang production's Scarlet Street. She's poison, danger on her warm lips, trouble in her teasing eyes. She brings out the bad in any man. And then it has a, a tagline, a quote from the movie right below it that says, Hello, lazy legs. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Scarlet Street coming to a theater near you. I love it because I'm just like, what is this movie about? Other than the fact that there's like a woman who's a temptress. I'll see it, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you, ha- you have my attention, yeah. really. Trailers that give away the whole plot could learn something from this ad. <laughs> Lastly, this podcast is also brought to you by Capital Chevrolet. When the strike is over, you will wish you had traded your car in or sold it for cash to the Capital Chevrolet. Which is interesting. I did a little bit of research. There was a huge General Motors strike. In 1946, there was a General Motors strike? Yeah, there was a huge General Motors strike in 1945 going into 1946, which essentially just closed down factories for almost a year of workers asking for better wages. And you can see ads all over these newspapers saying, when the strike is over, you're going to wish... You you had given your car in because it's not going to be worth anything or things like that. So there's a lot of ads like this one saying, um, do this before the strike ends, essentially. You don't want to be left out for when the strikes. That's crazy because this is kind of the start of the labor movement in the United States as well. Like the, mm-hmm. the 40-hour mm-hmm. work week is like starting to be something that's talked about. And um, the interstate highway system hasn't been built yet. So car supremacy is not quite what it is today. Like 
What a timely ad you found. Yeah, and and interestingly, I mean, the war is just now finishing. It finished, what, last September in these times, and it's now February, which means that now all production is exclusive to the U.S., right? And not there's no production going to other parts of the world to aid in the war effort. It's actually all for U.S. consumption. Well, in other news, Luis, roses are red. Wouldn't we all like a cohort? <laughs> Men still bashful Valentine's buyers. Merchants report. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Out of Connecticut again, we have a story. I just listened to this first paragraph. Not even the hazards of four years of warfare and bombs and liquid fire have strengthened the hearts of Waterbury Swains come Valentine's Day, a survey of the shops revealed this morning. The bashful male, following a practice as long as veteran merchants can remember, still executes a wild dash for the Valentine counter, makes a quick choice of the most expensive card on the shelf, and then sprints for the door. Merchants also report that the high-priced valentines that come in boxes are the favorite choice of timorous men in love because they can successfully hide their sentimentality before clerks. Their procedure follows this pattern without variance, they relate. Before placing either cash or valentine in the hands of the clerk, the furtive beau carefully places the love missive in the box with the, with the assertion, this one, this one costs $2, it says on the back, hoping against hope the clerk will not reopen the box. St. Valentine may also be praised, it would seem, for providing the inarticulate swain with an effective arrow to hit the bullseye. One of the most popular cards, according to one Bank Street merchant, contained this triggery message. If my heart could only speak to you, my sweetheart, today, I know my heart could tell you many things that I can never say. Even the words this message brings can never, never do to tell you all the love I keep just in my heart for you. Aww was also this card that appeared most frequently boxed when the purchase was made. And although more than 90% of Valentines are bought by women, who show no qualms about expressing their sentiments, it would seem the clerks like best to wait on men. One woman clerk analyzed it thus. It's so touching to see them. (laughs) It goes on and on. It says, women rarely buy a Valentine priced above a dollar. And then it says something later that I have to share. It says... Only men were buying valentines between 10 and 11 o'clock this morning when the writer dropped into the various shops around town. None expressed the role of enthusiastic swain. (laughs) All looked worried, confused, or just disgusted with the whole thing. (laughs) Valentines are the second best-selling card on the market today, according to merchants, with Christmas card greetings in the lead. But if action speaks louder than words, judging by the expressions on the face of the men valentine customers this morning, it is only because women expect to receive a love missive on February 14th and not because men tending more towards the logical than the sentimental like the idea wow yeah it's on you men way to go i like that it starts with like not even four years of bombs and fire can stop men from being like from grumbling. dreading buying cards for their women <laughs> these men these men have seen the horrors of war but the least they want to do is go to the stationery shop to buy a Valentine's Day card. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. I love how it says bashful. Bashful men. Mm-hmm. Right. Bashful men rather than just like that later line that's just like they all hate it. They're all just dreading it. They're not bashful. They're yeah. just like, fuck. Yeah. And I love <laughs> the idea of a reporter going to the stationery shop and just seeing all these bumbling men just going, oh, 
God. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I only have to do this for the missus. <laughs> the old ball and train. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Elena, in other news, this one is coming to us from the Calgary Herald in Calgary in Alberta, Canada. And uh, it reads, uh, roses are red, their beauty inconceivable. Demand for diamonds called unbelievable. And it, and it reads as follows. Expectations that the end of the war would bring a repetition of the 1919 boom in diamonds have proved to be an understatement. Demand for the gems is described as unbelievable. Prices of larger sizes will be raised by about 10%, chips about 20%. Well-informed diamond traders expect further price increases later in the year. A surprising feature of the boom is that the demand for the industrial diamonds, which was universally expected to dwindle as war industry was demobilized, is also insatiable. So everyone is rushing to get married at this time, which we know happened. The diamond industry is going crazy because people are rushing to get married at this time. Sorry, I was quickly Googling when Marilyn Monroe said diamonds are a girl's best friend in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and mm. it was 1949, so just three years from uh -huh. now, even though diamonds are booming in 46, they will be imprinted in the epitome of what a woman can want for in just yeah. three years. Definitely. It's wild that it says that really it, it was unbelievable, as they say here, quote, unbelievable, the boom to the diamond market at this point, um, which if you'll allow me, Elena, this goes hand in hand with another story I have here. So we're hearing Continue. the big boom. We're hearing this big boom of, of, of marriages, of people ending the war and choosing to run into into matrimony uh, but in the other side of the world in Salt Lake City back again with the Deseret News uh, we have the following headline oh man I have to do I didn't write a poem for this one so I'll just improvise roses are red violets a smell they exert growing divorce rate alarms social expert uh, <laughs> And this uh -huh. article continues such. The alarming rate of disintegration of family life was disclosed today by Roy E. Dickerson, Executive Secretary, Cincinnati Social Hygiene Association, who is in Salt Lake to give a series of lectures. He says, quote, the matrimonial average today is one divorce for every two marriages, he declared. If this continues, our society will become no better than the ancient Roman era of decay. <laughs> There is an epidemic of hasty marriages resulting from the return of emotionally starved men who have been away from the comradeship of women for as long as five years, he stated. Not an epidemic. You're right. There is nothing dishonorable about this emotional deprivation, although its physical part may manifest itself in dishonorable ways. It is the natural need for feminine companionship. Uh, and it ends with, he also disclosed an alarming number of venereal diseases and promiscuous practices among youth. 
Quote, the most important effect of promiscuity has upon an individual is that it makes him emotionally unfit for a permanent mate. Ooh. Uh, so, first of all, we love when men get slut shamed. Yeah, doesn't happen often. Doesn't happen often. Mm-mm. But we we are we are seeing these people rushing to get married and buying diamonds after diamonds after diamonds, and sometimes German women marrying German women, and yet. Divorce rates are rising, so this this man is 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 concerned, concerned and condemning quick marriages, especially saying the epidemic of hasty marriages because men have been away from women for so long. Right, and I think it. I saw this in your lineup, and it was it very much ties into my Eleanor Roosevelt one, and I can only assume that. These people were observing in their own lives, these men returning from war, most likely with PTSD. That's the rehab that Eleanor was referring to. Like, rehabilitate yourself before you invest in any kind of, you know, relationship. And this Mm -hmm, man is mm -hmm. like, people are leaving their husbands and wives. Like, why? It's like for that same kind of mental illness, probably, that is a result of the war. Definitely. Um, and it's prior to the fifties, like Mad Men era when like housewives are like raging alcoholics. Like it's this interesting era of history. That's like just post-war. There's not really a culture that's emerging yet other than like, woo, we won. It's very interesting. Like that, you know, freedom of, you know, no war. People are like, yeah, let's fucking leave this (laughs) shackle that we've, you know, Maybe we're regretting at this point, which should be fine. But, you know, it's making the former first lady and this man out of Utah just absolutely fear for the future of civilized society. Like, there's a little part of society that's like, shit, <laughs> we fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, as much as we want to joke and, 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 and dunk on these people saying, Oh, they just have antiquated views of marriage and 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 are very, let's just say, conservative for their times. I think there's a hint of truth to to jumping into these hasty marriages after a war, right? I don't want to come out as a uh, as a you know a, a champion of of matrimony. Of course not, but. I mean, yeah, you will want companionship after you come back from war, but there are a lot of things that you have seen that the people you meet back home have not and will never understand, right? And and that makes me think. That's why people, uh, Americans, for example, wanted to marry German girls because German people were there in the front lines. They understand the terrors of war, but they're feeling this expectation to marry an American person that, a has been waiting for them or they just met when they came back and of course this marriage is not going to last right and i think that's that's there there's there's a a ring of truth in that yeah it's poetic it's it's uh an insight into the sociocultural of the time and and this is the mentality that baby boomers grew up with or or that baby boomers grew up by their parents right it's this there's they they've seen a different side of the world and they're trying to remain as normal as possible even though that's almost not going to be possible right traumatized like we're five months out from the end of a war and 
you know, sociologists, whoever, haven't had time to analyze the sociocultural implications yeah. of this yeah. collective trauma that Mrs. First Lady and this guy in Utah are starting to identify as things that could potentially ruin civilization and high society or, or just popular culture as we know it. Mm-hmm. So, hey, boomers, we're extending a laurel wreath to you. Uh, this is the the one and only wreath of peace. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is our message, our concession to boomers that we know that, you know, you were raised by the silent generation who maybe should have gone to therapy themselves. And instead you had this culture of modesty and civility and make America great again. Um, that you yourselves <laughs> had no control over, that we're a holdover of a culture that we did not know how to fix. But yes, the point still stands. Please go to therapy if you need. Everyone should go to therapy. In other news, Luis, I have not so much a Valentine's Day story so much as a love letter to soup. So out of the Wyandotte News Herald uh, from Michigan, Roses are red. We all want to be wiser. According to Why and Don't New Herald, soup is ideal appetizer. <laughs> so the story goes, in wintertime, the cry, the cry soup is, the cry soup's on should be heard often. <laughs> soup has a lot of good points. It is hot. It can be a main dish or just an appetizer. It travels well in a thermos jug. It's easy for the toothless person to eat, and it may be an easy way to include in the diet such necessary foods as milk, green and yellow vegetables, tomatoes, and whole grains. Cream soups are not so popular as they should be, partly because many otherwise good cooks don't know how to make them. Canned string beans, peas, and spinach are good by themselves in a cream soup, or they may be used in combination with carrots. Mashed potatoes make a rich filling soup, which is more interesting in flavor if a little chili sauce is added. Onions add zip to almost any cream soup, but should be used sparingly. Cook a few rings with the white sauce and remove before adding the steamed vegetables. That's wonderful. Soup's on. <laughs> well, not necessarily a news piece. Um, this one feels okay. like just like this love letter to soup. Just this reminder of the possibilities and also just the fact that they put recipes in newspapers is so hilarious. Like this next one. Um, which is called the Sweetheart Salad Recipe that I found. And it's accompanied by a photo of a heart-shaped sweetheart salad. But let me just – I'm not going to read you the recipe. I'm just going to read you the ingredients. So it's gelatin, cold water, hot pineapple juice, grenadine, light cream, real mayonnaise, (laughs) canned pineapple or other canned fruit of your choice, maraschino cherries – and salad greens. Okay, so is the result going to be more like a like a Jello situation? I'm assuming. Right. So I don't know if you've seen those recipes from the 1950s that are like uh-huh. Waldorf salads or like these other just recipes from housewives that look like a brick of Jello with just like vegetables and fruit floating in it. Sure. Um, it's like that. So. <laughs> um, 
just gelatin is always the primary ingredient in these recipes. And I don't know if it's a holdover from the Depression era of things that are cheap and easy to mm-hmm. store or if it's a holdover of the war and like rationing. But these <laughs> recipes that are just like coming out of white America are an abomination to food and like like just some kind of a hate crime to the palate. I'm looking, I just looked up a picture of Sweetheart Salad on Google. My, that, that does not look appetizing, but I'm sure it was. Not at all. Um, it just looks like, like pink mashed potatoes. Uh, looks like lumpy ice cream. <laughs> I know this is not terribly exciting for an audio-based format, but really, if you can, look up Sweetheart Salad and, and you'll, you'll see what we mean. Yeah, if you've ever seen anything <laughs> from the 50s, it looks exactly like those abominations. That, that's what love was like, uh some 70 years ago maybe maybe longer that that's what love was it was just a a bunch of loveless marriages and pink goopy salads everyone's just let's just say everyone's just too excited that the fact the fact the war is over they're just wanting to do something no matter what that is right like there's i think this element of coming back from war and wanting this return to normal but also this excitement for valentine's day and like excess and consumerism that they haven't been able to do and that element is evolving as we have this trauma and this new normal that people aren't ready to face um and so valentine's day and like diamonds and um divorce rates are simultaneously One's going up, one's going up as well. Yeah, and in a bit of, of conjunction with this, I read an article this week too saying about, or actually it was not an article, it was a TikTok. Or actually, it was not a TikTok, it was a Twitter thread of this journalist that was trying to find a reason or a correlation between trauma and dancing mm. and how the traumatized men, soldiers that returned from the war wanted to go back to normal, wanted to go back to sock hops and dances, the dances that women who were left behind were not able to get because they had no partners. But when they returned, they were unable to have these dances and go back to normal because these men were traumatized. And these men were suffering from, as we said earlier, potential symptoms of PTSD and other war-related problems. And eventually this this person compared it to now, to potentially how how are people going to react once COVID is over, quote unquote. Right? Mm. Are there are there are going to be people that are going to be screaming, things can be, go back to normal, things can go back to the way they used to be. And then you're also going to have people saying, Mm-mm. no, things can't go back to normal. I had a close family member mm-hmm. or a close relative that died, right? Or my life was altered in a significant way. And I cannot go back to a pre-COVID world as some others can. So in a way, this post-war bliss, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, was a combination of just two different worlds clashing together and trying to make the best of that. And we might be having some of that in the near future. We're, we're yet to see that. Yeah, that's profound, Luis, this comparison between post-war and pandemic and trauma. Yeah, thank you to Twitter for giving us this, this, this conversation topic. Yeah, and I think it's something that we have to keep considering, especially like with holidays. And maybe if you're trying to mail a card to your significant other, do not do it so begrudgingly. 
Support the uh, USPS. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for listening to In Other News, the podcast where we ditch the headlines to look at the daily lives of everyday people that were missed from history books. We are on social media. You can find us on Twitter at newspaperpod or on Instagram at In Other News Podcast. You can find us there. Also, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. I'm Luis Mejia. I'm Elena Richards. And happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Stay in love. Keep making some history. Bye. Bye. Bye.